Welcome, welcome. It is the Chiefs Zone Podcast. I am Farzim Vasugian here talking Chiefs football with you. A lot to get into here on this episode of the Chiefs Zone Podcast. Going to be talking a little bit more about Eric Berry's absence and what does that really mean for this defense in terms of the potential that it's missing out on. I'm going to read you a stat that is kind of intriguing, but at the same time really disappointing. But I'll tell you why I'm going to read that stat. I'm not trying to read it to make you guys feel upset, but... It is a pretty important thing. We'll also talk about Alex Smith as he did receive an award for his performance last week against Patriots. And then we will preview the game between the Chiefs and the Eagles. Plus, I got to throw a flag at a couple of people who are using GoFundMe accounts for the wrong reasons. I'll get into that later on when I throw my penalty flags. A lot to get into here on this episode of the Chiefs on Podcast. Appreciate you guys, as always, downloading and listening to this podcast I'm Farzim Vesugian. You guys can interact with me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Farzim Vesugian. You guys can also follow me on Twitter at Farzine21. Email me as well, Farzine at FarzineVesugian.com. Be sure you subscribe to the podcast, share it on social media, let a friend know about it. Spread the word, let everyone know about it. The numbers for the past couple of episodes have been astronomically high. Uh, really the most uh, amount of downloads we've had. Uh, ever since I've gone on my own, uh, of course, you guys remember, especially some of you long-time listeners, I was on the thesportstuff.com, which was run by Dylan Richardson, great dude, still keep in touch with him, great guy. Uh, numbers were high on that too, but ever since I started doing this on my own, uh, the numbers went up, and hey, look, win- winning can do a lot, so always greatly appreciated, so a lot of fun covering that, but as I said last podcast, you've got to move forward. Uh, you take that 1-0 start, and... You, you continue to build off that. And the expectations are very high for the Chiefs. For ESPN, NFL.com, and USA Today, the Chiefs have been ranked in the top five in all of those power rankings. Chiefs fans have voiced their opinions in how upset they've been over the years. More specifically last year and how low the Chiefs were ranked in some of these power rankings. And look, me personally... Uh, I was actually talking to a friend about this before the season started. I didn't think I would discuss this so soon on the podcast, but honestly, with with um, with power rank anything with lists like rankings, power rankings, the best QBs, uh, any ranking out there, writers intentionally will place some teams or players out of spot. And it's simply for clickbait or to generate discussion. Look, I've written for Bleacher Report. I've written for Fansided. written for multiple publications. I have never personally tried to intentionally misplace a team or a player just to generate revenue, discussion, clicks, views, whatever you want to call it. I've never believed in that personally. I, I still think that... Now listen, I have opinions that a lot of people may disagree with, and I think that's fine. Listen, if people truly do stand by some of their hot takes, if you will, then hey, good for them. If not, then shame on them because they're just doing this for clicks, for the discussions, for uh, to have hundreds or maybe thousands of Facebook comments when their media outlet publishes it on social media. So when you look at the Kansas City Chiefs and what they've really accomplished this year... It's it's remarkable so far. It's only one game, but when you want to... People just love national opinion. They just do. 
Shannon Sharp, a former Denver Bronco, people say he never gives the Chiefs any credit. He's got the Chiefs as a dark horse to go very far this year. And guess who's sitting right across him that didn't necessarily have the same opinion? Tony Gonzalez, who's now, as you guys know, with Fox Sports. So you've got a lot of the national love. Alex Smith is getting praised by everybody. Still never saw this coming, but man. We'll get into Alex Smith later. I want to continue the discussion we had last podcast. Not too much, uh, as well as Eric Berry. We'll get into all of that in just a moment. But, uh, man, I, I, I do want to say this. Because for as much as we complain with national exposure, look, the Chiefs are getting six primetime games. They've got five more left. But, gosh, all of a sudden... The tables have turned in terms of how much Chiefs fans really feel about how their team's being perceived. And, and let me just say this, too, because if you beat the New England Patriots, ask yourself this. If you can beat the best, the Patriots, the team that's always expected, maybe not always, but they're either expected to go 16-0 or expected to have the best record in the NFL. If the Chiefs can knock off the Patriots like that, then what's expected moving forward? Are you expected to win every single game? I mean, are the Vegas odds always going to favor the Chiefs now? Look, I'm not saying this team's going to go 16-0 and win the Super Bowl because that's not a realistic expectation from this football team, especially with the loss of Eric Berry. But I do think that at the end of the day, if you win... 12, 13 football games, and in the three or four losses you have, as long as you don't commit bad errors, as long as you can still play the fundamentals of football, look, uh, I think fans are going to be okay with losing a couple of games. And not that losing is ever acceptable, but realistically speaking, I mean, do you see a 19-0 team year in and year out? No. Uh, I mean, there there's only been one team to go 16-0 ever since the 16-game schedule came out, and that was the Patriots. And they didn't even stay remain undefeated in the playoffs. They lost in the Super Bowl to the Giants, as we remember. So the Chiefs, getting that one win really is a statement, not just by the team, but now league-wide, the media, the coverage, everyone's looking at Kansas City and saying, This is going to be the team to beat. This is the team that you want to watch out. This team dominated the Patriots twice in the regular season. I mentioned last podcast, everyone's talking about how people don't remember seeing the Patriots lose like they did last week to the Chiefs. And the last time they they recall it was against the same team, the Chiefs. So, I mean, the, the, the team that has... Found a way to kill the Patriots twice in the regular season. 2014, now 2017. Both in recent memory. The Chiefs are a team that people are going to fear now. Oh wait, this is the team despite that the season does tend to end early for the Chiefs. They don't have a lot of success in the postseason, which I mentioned last podcast. That's that's kind of a, that's kind of a mystery. Why is it that this team can beat Super Bowl teams in the regular season but they can't do it in the postseason. That's always been the big question mark. But as far as right now, the Chiefs are that team to fear. Fans do not want to go up against Chiefs, especially if they continue to roll the ball, and they do it later this week against the Eagles. We will break down that game, and I'll give you guys my prediction for that game as well. 
And by the way, real, real quickly, I mentioned the power rankings. ESPN.com, their power rankings, they have the Chiefs at number three. They've got it Steelers, Packers, Chiefs, Pats, Cowboys. NFL.com has it Steelers, Chiefs number two, Pats, Raiders, and Falcons. And USA Today, I don't have the exact order in front of me, but I do know that they have the Chiefs as the number one ranked football team in the NFL. And the Steelers and Packers also are the top five, as well as the Falcons and the Raiders. So that look, everyone's on the Chiefs train. Everyone's on it. They lose one game, especially a game that they are not expected to lose, or if they lose to a team that wasn't even expected to make it a game, then people are going to jump off that train. So, listen, players and teams, they claim they don't care, but listen, we all know that they listen to the media from time to time. Tony Gonzalez claimed that he was never uh, paying attention to the media. Look at him. He's worked for CBS Sports, and now he's with Fox Sports. Herm Edwards claimed he never paid attention to what the media said. The guy works for ESPN. So listen, maybe the players hear about it, but they don't care too much about what people are expecting necessarily. But for the fans' sake, look, uh, if you wanted the attention, if you wanted the positive attention, you're getting it. So at this point, you have to expect your team and hope that the Chiefs are going to hold on to what they have and continue to dominate, because if they can do so, then they're going to continue to get this national love. You've been asking for it, you're getting for it. All right, I do want to start off with Eric Berry and talking about his absence, and Eric Berry was drafted in 2010. Obviously, phenomenal rookie for the Chiefs in 2010. Took a little bit of time to get going, but once he picked up the speed of the game. He really did become one of the better safeties in the NFL. In fact, voted into the Pro Bowl his rookie season. He's been voted into the Pro Bowl each year that he's played really the the full season. Uh, a couple of times he's missed uh, a lot of games. 2014, he missed uh, 10 games that year. He was injured during most of the first half. And then uh, after week 12, he missed the remainder of the season because of Hodgkin's lymphoma, which, of course, great story. He overcame it, defeated that. In 2011, he missed uh, 15 games. He only played in the first quarter of Week 1 against the Bills, suffered a torn ACL. Other than that, 2010, 2012, 13, 15, and 16, Eric Berry has been voted into the Pro Bowl. Speaking of missing games, yeah, I mentioned he was drafted in 2010. Who did the Chiefs draft the following year in 2011? They drafted Justin Houston in the third round. And there is no doubt that Justin Houston is by far one of the best pass rushers in the league today. And he followed up being drafted after the Chiefs took a guy who is now one of the best safeties in the league. So you've got easily one of the more dominant defensive backs and one of the more dominant pass rushers, but they haven't played a lot of games together. 2011, Eric Berry, I mentioned he suffered a torn ACL. Justin Houston and Eric Berry only played one game together in 2011. 2012, both of them started all 16 games. However, the Chiefs went 2-14 and 14 during that stretch. In 2013, that was, of course, the remarkable turnaround season. Andy Reid coming to Kansas City, the 9-0 start. However, Justin Houston missed four games with an arm injury late in the season. And Week 17, I excluded that because Andy Reid rested all 22 starters anyway. So 
even if Houston was healthy, they would have missed one start together, but not that it was due to an injury of any kind because Andy Reid did that intentionally. So I excluded that one. Could have been five, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it at four. 2014. Mentioned Eric Berry. He missed uh, he missed a couple of games early in the season, and then after uh, the loss in Week 12 to the Raiders, when they picked up their first win of the season, uh, he had to step away from the game of football to take care of his health. So Eric Berry missed 10 games that year. In 2015, they only played 11 games together. Played only six games in 2014. By the way, I don't think I mentioned that. 2015. Justin Houston missed the last five regular season games with a knee injury. In 2016, they only played five games together, missed 11. Barry started all 16, but Houston was limited on how much he could play because he was still recovering from knee surgery. 2017, which of course is this season, Eric Barry unfortunately suffered that ruptured Achilles late in the game last week against the Patriots. So only one game uh, regardless what happens with Houston, I mean, there are 15 games that they could have played together and that's not going to happen. So, since 2011, since Justin Houston was drafted, out of the 112 possible games, these two, and I'm including the remainder of 2017, these two are going to miss 60 games being on the field together. That's nearly half of the games since 2011. That is, I mean, that's a, that's a that's a tough stat to take in. Makes you cringe. And look, I mean, you draft these players for a reason. You extended their contracts for a reason. Justin Houston and Eric Berry are going to be here for a long time, so there are going to be opportunities to see these two on the field. But man, the only time they played sixteen games together in a season was the worst year in Chiefs history, that two and fourteen season in twenty twelve. When they started 9-0, Justin Houston had to miss some time because of that arm injury. 2014, when Justin Houston had the 22 sacks, Eric Berry didn't play a whole lot because he suffered an injury and, of course, had to step away because of his health. 2015, when Eric Berry did come back, took a little bit of time for him to get acclimated and get back into the game. But just when he did, Justin Houston started to miss some time. 2016, Great season for Eric Berry, but man, I, I just think he could have done even a little more if he had Justin Houston right there up front. And now you see Justin Houston, the impact he had late in the game, maybe not early on, but gosh, I mean, Eric Berry took care of business early on, especially with that big fourth down stop early in the game. But man, 60 games these two are going to miss between 2011, from 2011, I should say, and 20, all the way through 2017. 60 games. Easily one of the best safeties in the NFL and one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. And just the duo that you have here. That I mean, this defense, as great as this defense is, even though there are times where you have missed Justin Houston and you've missed Eric Berry, this defense has still done a great job. And unfortunately, we're not seeing... This defense live up to its potential because Eric Berry and Justin Houston have not been able to play a lot together. That's been the toughest part as a Chiefs fan. As someone that I personally have been praising this defense for a long time. And I did not realize uh, until 
the Eric Berry injury. When you look at just how much time is being missed between these two. That's a tough one. A tough one. I asked on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash Farzimasugi, and I wanted to know from you guys, given Kansas City's big win and Eric Berry's injury, has your outlook on the season changed at all record-wise, or is it still the same? I'm going to read some of the responses on here on the podcast. Troy said Barry was worth two wins last year. Hard to replace that. Lucas says still the same 11-5, and five, just going to be a little harder without Eric Berry. Arthur says statistically we do better without him. Sounds weird, I know, but I have them say, same when it comes to uh, their record. Gary says the same. Angela says one game at a time. Hashtag next man up. Hashtag Barry Strong. Jess says Sorensen will be a good player back there for the Chiefs. Sean says he still thinks that the Chiefs will. Oh, he oh he said 0-16. But for, for a moment, I thought I read it as 10-6. But obviously, he's being sarcastic with that. Uh, last comment from Sean. Uh, put a GIF. And it says, I'm a real roller coaster of emotions. Right now, and I think that might be a great way to, to define how most Chiefs fans are feeling, uh, especially since coming off that loss. Everyone's talking about Eric Berry and, and the fact that, you know, yes, it's a great win, but it came at a very, very high price for the Chiefs. But I mentioned last podca- podcast, and as Arthur mentioned it in the, um, in the Facebook page, I think the Chiefs defense are going to be just fine. They really will be fine. And I won't go into detail about it all over again. You guys can check it out from the last podcast. But overall, I think this Kansas City defense will be fine moving forward. Do want to touch a little bit more on Alex Smith. We mentioned earlier about just the impact he really had on the Chiefs in the last game. In his career before 2017, he only had two passes that went for 75 yards or more. And in this game, this game against the Patriots, he had two Equating his career total. And look, I said last week, uh, last podcast, I think that AFC Offensive Player of the Week is going to be a battle between Alex Smith and Kareem Hunt. You really could have given it to either of those two. Uh, you could have given it to, you, you could have made it a tie. But they gave it to Alex Smith. He is the AFC Offensive Player of the Week. And I think a lot of times, maybe storylines do play a hand and how they hand out these awards. So, look, I'm sure they consider the fact that this was Kareem Hunt's debut and he had the best debut in NFL history. But at the same time, Alex Smith, all that he's been criticized about and being the playing the quarterback position, you, you tend to be favored for these awards. And just the game that he had, I mentioned it. He doesn't throw the ball deep a lot, and he did it quite a bit in this game. And he tore up that Patriots secondary. He really did. Found those open holds and was able to get them to guys like Tyreek Hill, guys like Kareem Hunt, even Chris Conley a little bit. So this is a pretty big defining moment for Alex Smith. And listen, if this is the Alex Smith that you you see, all right, then then rest Pat Mahomes. Who cares how much he's making? It, it, like I said last last time, overpay everybody if it means you're going to get win a Super Bowl. No one cares at the end of the day who's making how much. If you're winning games, if you're if you're going to get to a championship, so Alex Smith, I think the key for him, and I'll get into this in just a moment when we break down the game between the Chiefs and Eagles at Arrowhead Stadium, the home opener for the Chiefs this Sunday. Just continue to do what you did. Keep that game plan rolling. I'm sure 
There was a day, and I mentioned the game plan, what I thought the game plan was going to be going into that game. I thought the Chiefs were going to use those short intermediate routes quite a bit, the dinks and dunks to try to move the football. But man, did the Chiefs go the complete opposite way, and they really found a way to gash through the best scoring defense from a year ago, the reigning Super Bowl champions. Looking at the Philadelphia Eagles and what they accomplished last week against the Washington Redskins. And look, it was not the most impressive win, but it is a division win, and they're going to take that any way they can. Carson Wentz threw for 307 yards and a pair of touchdowns, was sacked three times in the game. However, uh, only two uh, two of them counted. One of them did not count. He was sacked uh, twice on the same drive at one point in the game, but one of them was called back for a chop block penalty, so... Statistically speaking, he was only sacked twice in this game. Uh, but by the way, Wentz on the first offensive drive of the game and of the season for the Eagles, it was a three-play drive. Wentz threw an incompletion on the first play. On the second play, suffered a sack. Then on the third play, rolled around, went outside the pocket to his left, and got the extra time he needed to find an open. Receiver finally connected with Nelson Aguilar on a 53-yard catch-and-run touchdown. Uh, a play that really was a busted play. Uh, the poor blocking and the routes just weren't there. I, uh, co- coverage was pretty much spot on on that play. And then at that point, you, you I mean, everyone has to improvise. Carson Wentz rolled out to his left and Aguilar ran a different route and found himself wide open as... Defensive backs, I mean, at that point, they start to wear down a little bit, not sure exactly which direction the receivers are going to go. Maybe they see one going one direction in their new route. They see another going another, and they have to bite out one. And Aguilar was able to find a wide-open seam and caught that 58-yard catch-and-run touchdown. So that was a pretty impressive play by Carson Wentz, the way he was able to go about that to kind of set the tone for the game for the Eagles against the Redskins. In fact, speaking of Aguilar, pulled in six catches for 86 yards and that score that I mentioned. Tight end Zach Ertz caught eight passes for 93 yards in the game. No score, but the 93 yards, of course, can really go a long way for an offense. Both pass catchers were each targeted eight times in the game. And speaking of targets, Wentz was eight for eight when targeting Ertz in the game. And as we all remember, Eric Berry shut down Gronk, a tight end, last week. And look, Ertz is no Gronk, but a safety shutting down a tight end alone, that's no easy task. And without Eric Berry in this game, I think Zach Ertz is going to be a guy that Chiefs fans are going to have to keep an eye on to see how he does against Kansas City's new secondary. I mean, look, the, the teams without Steven Nelson, they're gonna, they're all now going to be without Eric Berry. This is going to be very interesting to see how the Chiefs are going to play this matchup and try to defend Zach Ertz and not let him go off for a big game like he did against the Redskins. The rushing attack for the Philadelphia Eagles never got, got going in this game. The longest run went for 7 yards. Uh, they had 24 carries and 58 yards as a team. Worth noting, Darren Sproles is on this team. He's part of the offense. Doesn't have a big hand, but in the past he has owned Kansas City. So you know they're going to try to use him and try to use his speed uh, against Kansas City. I mean, Kansas City's used the speed of Kareem Hunt, Tyreek Hill, and several others against other teams. And I'm sure the Eagles want to try to get the Chiefs to 
take a taste of their own medicine and try to use a speed against them. So, and it could work. Given that Eric Berry's not going to be in that backfield, that defensive backfield, that could be a possibility. So that's something you've got to watch out for, not allow the, the Eagles to use their run, their, their speed to unleash and attack this defense. Speaking of defense, Philadelphia's defense, a mediocre run-stopping defense from a year ago. The Redskins also, just like the Eagles, never got the running game going. So, I mean, that was a really weak point for them. That made the Eagles look really good. Pass defense for the Eagles last year ranked 13th just above average in 2016. Brandon Graham, defensive lineman, got a pair of sacks for the Eagles. Fletcher Cox also got a sack in this game, plus a fumble recovery for a touchdown. The Eagles, as a defensive unit last week, four sacks, eight quarterback hits, seven and a half tackles for a loss. So pretty good numbers for defense last week, especially against a team like Kirk Cousins. And I know Kirk Cousins didn't have the greatest game. And listen, I'll just say this right now. Well, actually, I'll get back to it. I I want to quickly touch on this. Caleb Sturgis, the only notable special teams player, connected off three-on-three field goals, including a 50-yard field goal. What I was about to say, Kirk Cousins, yes, good quarterback and all this year. I mean, not off to a great start. But the thing about this game, between the Eagles and the Redskins. A 31-17 win for the Eagles. The reason the Eagles won this football game was because of the four turnovers. And Kansas City's not turning the football four times. Yes, they did it three times against the Raiders last year, but still managed to hold on to win. That's a very First of all, it's rare to commit that many turnovers and not gain any and still win a football game the way the Chiefs did. It's also rare for the Chiefs to commit that many turnovers in a game as well. Now, as I mentioned, I mean, if you defeat the Patriots, the standard is pretty high. I mean, you're expected to do what you did against New England on the road, celebrating that fifth Super Bowl trophy against any team. In fact, maybe even do better. So it's going to be interesting to see how the Chiefs are going to look this time around. And listen, yes, the Chiefs had a great game against the Patriots, but hey, you never know. I mean, that one assignment on Tyreek Hill, that missed assignment could have been the difference maker. That could have definitely changed the momentum in the game and the mindsets of all of the players on both sides of the football. That catch and run play on Kareem Hunt, there there were uh, there was a defender that had a hand on Kareem Hunt but could not bring him down. I mean, had they been able to stop him, maybe Kansas City doesn't go on to win that game. So a couple of mistakes were made by the Pats, and I'm not saying you don't give credit to the Chiefs at all, by all means. Uh, listen, in the NFL, uh, people don't give Tim Tebow credit for... That one play touchdown drive against the Steelers in overtime because Troy Palomalo bit on uh, a play action. Do you know how many times Tom Brady takes advantage of a defensive back misreading something and Brady just takes advantage of that? Peyton Manning did it a lot. A lot of great quarterbacks do it. Alex Smith found a way to do it, especially on that Tyree kill play. I mean, that was definitely a missed call by the defensive backs for the for the Patriots. So anytime you see guys that have miscues or d- can't follow the offense, you take advantage of that. So you don't ever take credit away from a quarterback for doing so. And I think that's one thing you've got to look out for. Alex Smith does an incredible job of reading the field. The guy commits few, very few turnovers, the least 
for a reason. So that's one thing that the Chiefs have going behind them coming into this game. Philadelphia won because of those four turnovers. Well, guess what? Philadelphia is now going to be facing a quarterback that has the fewest turnovers since 2013. So this doesn't bode well for Philadelphia. If they want to win this game, everything's got to go right for them because otherwise... I mean, unless Alex Smith just falls flat and commits three, four, five turnovers, the Eagles are going to have to really earn this game if they want to steal one out of Arrowhead. Taking care of the football is going to be the biggest priority for the Chiefs. The second one I'll say right now, and this is not an area where the Chiefs have dominated. In fact, this was one of their weak points last year. And this also translated into a bad run defense, I think. But control the game own time of possession with what Kareem Hunt did and even Chuck Kendrick West coming in there and having his hand on that game run the football on this defense they're not a great run stopping defense and sure they 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 were able to shut down Washington's running game but look Washington was going pass heavy first of all they're paying Kirk Cousins a ton of money second of all when you're behind like that you have to abandon the run So if Kansas City can run that football, you know that they're going to own time of possession. And last key for me, I mean, this is going to be a key every single game because the Chiefs are really one of the best at this, but apply pressure. Carson Wentz did not do well when the Redskins applied pressure on him. Now, the Chiefs are not the Redskins. The Chiefs are way better than that. The Chiefs have the tools up front with their front seven on defense to be able to put pressure, to be able to beat those offensive linemen and get to Carson Wentz and force him to do things that he may not want to do. So yes, you are going to be without Eric Berry. You are going to have Dan Sorensen. But given that this pass rush is going to disrupt the pocket and not give Carson Wentz the time that he needs to make the plays happen, I don't think Sorensen filling in for Berry is going to look a whole lot different. I'm not saying, like I said before, I'm not, I don't think Barry, or excuse me, Sorensen is going to have the major impact that Barry had. That's a different call right there. But I still think this defense is going to do just fine in terms of not giving up the big play, not giving up the big yards. And again, keeping an eye on Zach Ertz, that's going to be important because this is a guy who Carson Wentz had a lot of fun with last week, going eight for eight passing to him. So when you target him, you're 100% passing to him. So the Chiefs have got to make sure that they don't allow him, Wentz and Ertz, to go off on this defense like they did against the Redskins. And I think that comes with the pass rush in hoping that, hey, look, if Sorensen can just do his job for a couple of seconds, hey, the rest of us will do our job and get to the quarterback and not give him enough time he needs to make the right throw. Vegas has the Chiefs as four and a half point favorites. I think they cover that. I think it's going to be a 28-10 to 10 beating for the Chiefs. I, I think at the end of the day, the Eagles are just going to have a really hard time putting up points against a team at Arrowhead. And mind you, coming off that big win, oh, and by the way, it's 10 days rest for the Chiefs. So it's almost like a bye week. And you know Andy Reid, maybe not so recently with the Chiefs, but it's kind of like a bye week when you have those extra three days. I mean, those those can go a long way. So for Andy Reid, uh, I know his record uh, coming off a bye for the Chiefs lately hasn't been great, but 
historically he's done a really good job with that, and I think that is also going to play a big factor for the Chiefs. It's going to be a raucous crowd at Arrowhead. I mean, the crowd's going to be up, I mean, they're going to be crazy remembering that this is the same team, their Chiefs team, that came away with that big win at New England to start off the season. So I've got the Chiefs winning this one 28-10 at Arrowhead Stadium. Let me know what you guys think about my prediction. Facebook.com slash Farzine Vesugian or on Twitter at Farzine21. You guys can also email me, Farzine at FarzineVesugian.com. All right, going to start wrapping up the show. Let's start by going around the NFL. All right, I know in my NFL 2017 predictions, my preview, I, I wasn't too high on the Rams. But, man, I, I know it's just one game. It's just week one. But, boy, did Jared Goff look good. This is what the Rams were expecting when they drafted him last season. 21 of 29 completions for 306 yards and a touchdown. And the Rams put a beating on the Colts. And I know the Colts, they, they, they just, I mean, look, there's there's nothing you can say about that. They, they're, again, without Andrew Luck, the no pun intended. The bad luck continues with the injuries there. Uh, nothing you can do if you're the Colts, but if you're the Rams, you just take advantage of that. And if Jared Goff can try to keep this up, and not that I expected every single game, but if he can do this more times than not, I think Rams fans are going to be really happy with the pick of Jared Goff from a year ago. Got off to a really crazy start. I remember that preseason game. He looked gassed out, but I think Jared Goff, I mean, he, he definitely showed a... a, a some some glimpse of hope and a reason to give Rams fans to believe for the future. Hey, the Falcons almost blew a late lead to Mike Glennon. Yes, Mike Glennon of all quarterbacks, the quarterback of the Chicago Bears, the team that drafted Mitch Trubisky. And look, in Glennon's defense, he had two. Uh, he got sacked on that fourth down play, but should never have come down to that. There were two drops by the Bears late in the game. But hey, uh, the, the Falcons at some point have to learn how to hold the lead, I guess. I do want to talk about Deshaun Watson for the Houston Texans. By the way, the Texans looked awful against the Jacksonville Jaguars. But Deshaun Watson, he showed a few flashes when he was inserted in. But the lead was just too big to try to form any kind of a comeback. So let's see what how the Texans go when... Deshaun Watson can play from start to finish and when the score starts off 0-0 zero to zero, because at that point it's an even playing field and Watson isn't going to be given all this to deal with. Not a lot of pressure on his shoulders right away. Instead it's, the score is going to be 0-0 zero to zero, and Watson's going to have an opportunity to try to give his team a win uh, for four quarters. So I think it's going to be... He, he showed some flashes in this game against the Jaguars which again was a brutal loss for the Texans but I think he's going to come around and give Texans fans a reason to be excited for the rest of the season. And final topic, I do want to get into this. Just the drama between Ezekiel Elliott and the NFL. Uh, The suspension no longer taking place. Ezekiel Elliott and his camp got it to be put on the side for now. The NFL not happy about it. They're appealing Ezekiel Elliott's appeal of trying to get that suspension to go away, and now the NFL is trying to bring that back. The NFL is certain that they are right, and Ezekiel Elliott is certain he is right, which, again, is a very crazy scenario to look at, but at the end of the day, I mean, look, this is going to take a long time. Look at the NFL, what they do. Remember Sean Smith when he was caught with a DUI downtown in Kansas City and hit a light pole? 
it took more than a year for the NFL to determine what they wanted to hand out as a punishment to Sean Smith, which ended up being a three-game suspension. The NFL takes forever in a lot of these. And listen, I, I think that six-game suspension, I think it happens at some point. It's probably not going to be until next season. That's how crazy it can be with the NFL when it comes to trying to find a punishment, get to the end of things, and try to hand out the suspension. They take forever, man. Still waiting on Demetrius Harris, who got in trouble in the offseason. going to take some time, but I, I think the suspension will happen. It's just not going to be this year. The worst part is I can see the NFL being aggressive with this later in the season, forcing Ezekiel Elliott to miss postseason games, and that would not be very good for the Cowboys, assuming they make it into the playoffs. Let's continue this train. Let's go out of bounds. All right, I'm sure you guys saw this in college football. OU quarterback Baker Mayfield apologized for the flag move at midfield on Ohio State's field after that big win. Listen, can we just not be outraged by every single thing? I don't think it was the right thing to do at their field, but at the same time, it's not like he it's not like he spit on their field. I mean, he just got the flag. First of all, he kind of messed up when he... Put the flag down. I mean, it was kind of tilted. So it's not like it was even a successful flag wave midfield on Ohio State's field. So, listen, I just think there's too much outrage for something like this. Uh, I mean, look, if it's a college basketball team cutting the nets on an opposing team's court, yeah, I think that's taking things too far. But, look, this is just a quick celebration at midfield. It would not have mattered if he did this. At the 35-yard line. I mean, please. He, the guy was just celebrating a win. Let's not act like we've never celebrated anything before. John Jones, UFC fighter, could... Well, he has been known as one of the best. But now he could just be known as a complete screw-up. His B-sample proved that he failed his drug test and was caught with steroids. And Daniel Cormier, the guy who he... Dumb, eviscerated in the third round at UFC 214 in July he has now gotten back the UFC light heavyweight title and he is now the champion John Jones has been stripped for a second time it's actually a third time if you include the interim belt that he got but man how many chances does it got Brian Cushing was just caught with steroids suspended 10 games I will never understand pro athletes that take steroids or take banned substances when they know they're going to be tested. These athletes are always being tested, making sure they're not cheating. They're not using banned substances. I don't understand why athletes do this in a sport, in a profession where they know that they will be caught if they take this. They will be tested. They, they have to give blood and make sure they're, they're doing the right things. And John Jones, Brian Cushing, man, I mean, these guys both screwed up and... I'll just never understand why pro athletes cheat when they know that it can be picked up on. One quick thing I do want to touch on. I know soccer, not the most exciting sport to talk about in the U.S. I know in Kansas City, Sporting KC's got a good reputation, but people just like to go to the games. They don't necessarily talk about it so much, especially on talk radio and such. Uh, I do want to say this about the U.S. men's national team. Uh, lost to Costa Rica in the World Cup qualifier earlier this month. They did bounce back against Honduras, but man, that loss to Costa Rica still is going to hurt. Losing to a country like Costa Rica, with all due respect, 
this is why the U.S. hasn't maybe hasn't had a lot of popularity with soccer because you're just not good in that sport compared to other countries. Whereas if you have all the countries competing for a basketball game, I mean, I mean the U.S. is always expected to dominate that one, which they do. They tend to do so. I think the U.S. has got to win a World Cup in order for soccer to have some prevalence in this country, but doesn't seem like it's going to happen anytime soon. Look, maybe they get into the World Cup, but gosh, if you lose to Costa Rica, I mean, that's just bad. That would be like KU losing to a team like UMKC or losing to Johnson County Community College. And with all due respect to those programs, KU cannot afford to ever lose to a, a school of that caliber at all. I mean, it would just look bad. Similar to how it looks bad that the U.S. loses to Costa Rica. And I, I know it's a soccer game. I know it's not U.S.'s big sport. But still, in a country where the standards are always very tall, um, this is something that you've got to be able to come away with or at least prevent a loss against uh, to a country like Costa Rica. Final segment of the show, I've got some penalty flags to throw. If you missed the second Monday Night Football game, you missed a legend in sports bloopers. Sergio Dip had the most awkward re- sideline report of all time. And gosh, I mean, th- this was not even the B or C team for ESPN. This was like the X team or Z team. Y team, some- somewhere around there. Because, man, Sergio Dip had been working for ESPN Deportes. This was his ESPN USA debut. And he did not. It was a cringeworthy sideline report. I posted the video on the Facebook page. Check it out. Facebook.com slash Farzim Vasugian. I mean, the only thing he did not say was boom goes the dynamite in his report. But hey, the guy was a great sport about it on social media. He's been joking about it. Uh, he posted a screenshot of him doing a Google search that says, how do I deal with fame? So he's at least being funny. You can tell the guy has a sense of humor. Hey, look, I wish the best. The Sergio Dip just didn't look good in his debut. I'll tell you who else didn't look good. Referee Terry McCauley, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. He was the referee in that game. And when the Chargers took a timeout, he said, timeout San Diego. Now look, these guys aren't the only ones to call a timeout when Undisputed was talking about the AFC West. They kept referring to the Chargers as San Diego. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I even did it once on this podcast. And look, I, I'm still not used to the Chargers not being. I know their nickname has always been the San Diego Super Chargers. This just came to mind. Do they still have that nickname? Because you know, because San Diego, that starts with an S. And Super Chargers, that starts with an S. I'm curious if that's still the nickname. If anybody lives in the L.A. area, let me know on social media. Facebook.com slash Farzivisugian. Or at Farzing21 on Twitter. Let me know if that's still the nickname. Because I just realized that. I mean, they've been known for that nickname. And... Hey, maybe I should just be throwing a flag at the Chargers. At how irrelevant they still are. I mean, you have a chance to tie the game. And it's a tip field goal. I mean, that's just bad. Alright, these next couple of guys. Uh, they created GoFundMe accounts for the dumbest reasons. The first guy, Joseph McRae. Speaking of the Chargers. 
He raised a ten thousand. He raised ten thousand dollars on a GoFundMe account, able to get enough money to form an anti-NFL digital billboard by the Chargers' new stadium because of the relocation. So basically, this anti-NFL billboard thing is bashing the relocation for the Chargers. It's also meant to support fans of the St. Louis Rams and the Oakland Raiders, which will, in a couple of years, be the Las Vegas Raiders. Look, let me just say this. The Chargers and the Rams were not getting a lot of support in San Diego and St. Louis. The Raiders, they have a horrible stadium and. For whatever reason, the owners have decided to move it to Las Vegas. Now look, the Kansas City Royals could have easily left Kansas City a couple of years ago, but they didn't. They didn't. They still stayed here. They did the renovations here and ended up staying in Kansas City. So, man, I mean, I mean, I can understand the frustration for those who do still love and follow their Rams each game. I mean, I still watch every single Chiefs game, win or lose. Even during the bad years, I still follow this team very closely. Part of it's because of the podcast, but even without it, I still would have been following this team closely. But man, really, you're going to ask for people to pay you on GoFundMe and get $10,000? Here's who else had a GoFundMe account, which by the way got shut down. Alright, I'm sure you guys have all seen this video by now. It's been It's been on every single internet outlet. I'm sure it's made it on the late night comedy shows. Uh, There is a couple. uh, A man is proposing to his girlfriend standing on a... This is a Kansas City couple, by the way. Uh, They're standing on a uh, short bridge, and he drops the ring, and they actually hear a plop. So they were doing this in front of a big group. Their friends went into the water and started searching... For this ring, they ended up not uh, finding it, no success finding it. So instead, they formed a GoFundMe account and they were only able to raise just a couple hundred bucks. But they wanted to uh, start one to, to pretty much get a new ring. Look, there are people in Houston and in Florida who need money more than. Uh, some loser trying to get an anti-NFL billboard going or a couple that dropped their engagement ring. I mean, it's not... not, Look, I I get it. People in the comment section are saying, hey, look, you don't have to pay for the... I get it. But when the media promotes a story like this and mentions the GoFundMe account, people feel this... I mean, there's that emotional appeal, that tie-in, that people say, oh, man, I've been engaged before. Let me... Let me help him out. And that's just wrong. People should not be giving their money to to people, I mean, for their own doings. GoFundMe accounts should be meant for people who are in desperate need of help financially. I mean, if if there's a family in which they've got a kid that that needs to go through treatment, if anyone has a surgery that they've got to pay off, or if there's a student that's had a very troubled past and wants to make money to try to go to college, I feel like that's what GoFundMe accounts should be used for. Not for replacing someone's engagement ring because they dropped it into the water or someone trying to build negati- negativity against the NFL. I mean, let's get let's get our priorities straight, guys. Let's remember, I mean, again, 
We know there are a lot of people right now in South Texas and South Florida who need money way more than these people do. So, look, I mean, people are free to do whatever they want with their money. Unfortunately, people blow it on stupid things. But, man, I I mean, if you're going to give away money, give it away to a right place for a right reason. Not to people who don't need it. That'll do it for this episode of the Chiefstone Podcast. I am Farzim Masugian. Be sure you check out my other podcast, my MMA podcast, if you're an MMA fan, the Cage Zone Podcast. Recap UFC 215 on that one, plus previewed the matchup between Rockhold and Branch this weekend. Plus, even previewed a little bit of UFC 216 and 217 on the latest episode of the Cage Zone Podcast. I'll also post it on the social media pages. Speaking of social media, Facebook.com slash and That's my Facebook page. Give it a like. And you guys can follow me on Twitter at Farzine21. Email me, Farzine at FarzyMasugian.com. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the Chiefs on Podcast. Please subscribe, share it on social media, let a friend know about it. It helps the podcast greatly. A lot of big numbers this week. Let's keep that rolling. Appreciate you guys spreading the word. Let's keep it rolling. Hopefully the Chiefs keep it rolling. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the game this weekend. I'll talk to you guys on Monday when we recap the Chiefs, hopefully advancing to 2-0.